My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. Most people have a total misunderstanding of probiotic bacteria and what they do and how they function. The job of your probiotic bacteria is to digest components in your food and break them down and produce secondary molecules that we call postbiotic metabolites. And it's these smaller metabolites that the probiotic bacteria produce that have a wide range of biological activity. So it's not the probiotic bacteria themselves, it's the compounds that the probiotic bacteria produce, these postbiotic metabolites, that regulate not only your microbiome ecosystem, but they get absorbed systemically and influence every single organ system in your body, especially your brain and your immune system. And the problem, Ben, is that most people are not feeding their gut microbiome well. And if you don't feed your probiotic bacteria well, they will not thrive and survive. They won't be able to produce the postbiotic metabolites that regulate your health. So what are the types of foods that your probiotic bacteria require? They are dietary fibers and polyphenols. Faith. Family fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different newly discovered plant-derived ingredients that when expertly combined can help to reduce senescent cells, and the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. And you only use it twice a month. Six capsules twice a month. Super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, and that code Ben Seno will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Seno. All right, folks. So uh, you've probably heard me talk about rapamycin a few times in the past several weeks, if you've been listening to the podcast, as any loyal podcast listener should be. Uh, anyways, it's because I've been taking a deep dive lately into this kind of darling of the anti-aging and longevity sector. I, I had some some reservations about rapamycin for the longest time. After reading the book written by today's podcast guest, I learned a ton about it. Uh, the book is called Rapamycin, mTOR, Autophagy, and Treating mTOR Syndrome. If you don't know what mTOR Syndrome is, don't worry. We'll, we'll clear that up. And my guest is Ross Pelton. Ross is extremely intelligent when it comes to all things related to anti-aging and longevity. He's a pharmacist. He's a nutritionist. 
He's an author of this fantastic book and some other titles. This book, again, is called Rapamycin. Uh, and he's a health educator and, and he, he has a lot of knowledge as well in the microbiome and in drug induced nutrient depletions. He was actually named as one of the top 50 most influential pharmacists in the United States and, uh, runs a, a fantastic website, social media profile, and is a really great follow. So I'll link to all his stuff. If you go to the show notes over at bengreenfieldlife.com slash rapamycin. And if you don't know how rapamycin is spelled, I'll tell you right now because you want to know. Uh, you're going to see it all over the place in the next 10 years, I guarantee. BenGreenfieldLife.com slash Rapamycin. It's R-A-P-A-M-Y-C-I-N. Ross, welcome to the show, man. Ben, great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I've been looking forward to this interview, and I think you even alluded to it on, on a few other podcasts. And you know, one thing I have to ask you before we jump in, I was actually in preparation for our show today listening to uh, an interview with uh, a guy who's in the longevity sector down in, I believe, uh, he's in he's in New Zealand. I don't, I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now. You might know who this guy is. And it was a whole, a whole podcast episode about rapamycin and the longevity-enhancing benefits of rapamycin. They got to the end of the interview, and the, the interviewer said, well, do you take it? And he's like, no, 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 not, not yet. And uh, so I suppose I should just lead this interview off rather than waiting to the end to ask you, do you actually take rapamycin? Absolutely. Been you taking do. it for about two and a half years now. Okay. Yeah, me too, except for about two and a half weeks now. <laughs> so I'm a little bit behind you and, and we'll get into why, of course. But, you know, but before we start, I think the story of rapamycin is very interesting. This whole idea of Easter Island and the, and the soil and yeah. I believe a... Rapa Nui is the name of the island or something. Can, can you tell that story? Sure, you bet. So back in the 1960s, a group of Canadian scientists made a scientific expedition to Easter Island. And the goal of that expedition was to look for potential sources for new antibiotic and antifungal drugs. They took a lot of soil samples around Easter Island. And when they got back to their labs and started looking at things, one of the soil samples had a compound that produced by a strain of Streptomyces bacteria. And so thing I, one of the things I like to emphasize, Ben, is this is something that's naturally produced in nature by a strain of soil bacteria. It's not some weird molecule that the pharmaceutical companies have produced that's never been seen on planet Earth or in any human's body before. Um, but this compound that is produced by this strain of soil bacteria was named rapamycin after the indigenous people's name for Easter Island, which is Rapa Nui. So that's how it got its name. And interestingly, they started to develop rapamycin as an antifungal drug, and then they discovered that it suppresses the immune system. So all this research came to a screaming halt. But then in September of 1999, the FDA approved rapamycin for people that get tr kidney transplants because people that get an organ transplant need to be on immune suppressive drugs for the rest of their life. So that was the way that rapamycin got its original FDA approval. Well, samples of rapamycin were sent off to the National Cancer Institute and they went crazy over it. They discovered that rapamycin is the first example of an entirely new class of chemotherapy drugs. Most chemotherapy drugs are called cytotoxic. They kill rapidly dividing cells like the tumor cell, but they also cause a lot of side effects because there's 
other cells in your body that divide rapidly, like the epithelial cells that lie in your gastrointestinal tract and liver cells and the bone marrow and so forth. So that's where all the side effects come from. Turns out that rapamycin is not cytotoxic, it's cytostatic. It stops the cancer growth, but it doesn't have all these side effects. So in the early 2000s, rapamycin got FDA approval for treating two different types of solid tumor cancers. These FDA approvals, Ben, have been an impediment to getting rapamycin accepted as a life extension drug because most functional medicine docs and health-oriented physicians are not going to write a prescription for a life extension enthusiast for chemotherapy or some, something that suppresses the immune system or something that's generally a, a cancer drug. But Joan Manick is a scientist that worked for one of the big multinational drug companies, Novartis. And she had the enviable position of being able to research anything she wanted. And she was interested in aging. She decided to research rapamycin, and she devised a really interesting clinical trial that really changed the landscape for rapamycin and opened up the floodgates for our understanding of it as a literal revolution, a real breakthrough in life extension therapy. So Joan Mannix's trial, she selected elderly people aged 64 and older, divided them into four groups of people. One is the placebo group, and then the three other groups took a different dose of a rapalog, a rapamycin-type drug that has exactly the same effects of rapamycin. One group took 0.5 milligrams every single day. Second group took 5 milligrams once a week. Third group took 20 milligrams once a week. And they took their dose or the placebo for 12 weeks. And then there was a two-week washout period. And then she subjected all these participants to the seasonal flu vaccine. And then she did blood work and measured how their immune system responded to this challenge of the flu vaccine. Turned out that the people taking five milligrams once a week, that was a sweet spot. These people got a 20% boost to their immune system. Now, just for comparison's sake, how much would people be taking if they were using it as an immunosuppressant or as, say, like a cancer chemotherapy agent? You bet. So the, if you're taking it for chemotherapy or for immunosuppression, you take it every single day. Same thing, five, five milligrams every single day or more than five milligrams? Different, different doses. It's not one okay. set dose, the different doses. But the difference is rather than taking daily, Joan Mannix's trial discovered and announced that if you take rapamycin episodically, in this case once a week, there's tremendous health benefits. So now I want to kind of morph into an explanation of why taking it once a week provides such unique and important health benefits. Okay. And to do that, Ben, I need to get into the other topics in the title of my book, um, mTOR and autophagy. And right at the beginning of my book, I say there are two main themes in my book. One is the drug rapamycin, which is a very interesting story in and of itself. But to my way of thinking, mTOR and autophagy are a much more important topic in my book than just the drug rapamycin, because this understanding of mTOR and autophagy has opened up a whole new understanding of cellular metabolism, of health, and the aging process. So let me break this down and describe these terms and what they mean. Um, in 1994, David Sabatini discovered the mechanism of rapamycin. 
When rapamycin gets absorbed across the cellular membrane, it goes into a cell and it binds to an enzyme. And this is an enzyme that is a master sensor of when nutrients are available. And when nutrients are available, this particular enzyme sends out signals to the cell that says, use these nutrients to build and grow, make new proteins, make new enzymes, build new cellular components. And because this is the enzyme that rapamycin binds to, David Sabatini named this enzyme mTOR, which stands for the mechanistic target of rapamycin. So it's just the term that Sabatini gave to the target where mTOR binds to. I think a lot of people hear that term mTOR because it gets thrown around a lot these days. They don't even realize the R stands for rapamycin. Yeah. And if you look in, in PubMed, there are thousands and thousands of published studies and articles on mTOR. And now I need to discuss and explain the other side of the equation. So I mentioned mTOR senses when nutrients are available. If there are no nutrients available, then a process of autophagy gets activated. And Japanese scientist Yoshinori Osumi won the Nobel Prize in 2016 for his discovery of autophagy. When no nutrients are available, autophagy is the process where cells are able to target old, misfolded proteins and enzymes and cellular components and break them down and get them out of the cell for detoxifying the cell. Or they're reutilizing the components like the amino acids in misfolded proteins, breaking them down to their amino acids, and then reutilizing these amino acids to build healthy new proteins and healthy new enzymes and healthy new cellular components. So autophagy Mm -hmm. is detoxification, and it's also the rebuilding and the revitalization and the renewal of your body. And for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years of evolutionary history, mTOR and autophagy were in balance. And when I use the term balance, and I, I mTOR and autophagy, and I, when I say they're in balance, that doesn't mean equal parts. And I use the analogy of the gut microbiome. A gut microbiome that's in balance is about 85 to 90% good bacteria and only 10 to 15% bad bacteria. That's a healthy balance in the gut microbiome. Right. So it's not, it's not like it's a 50-50 split is what right. you're saying. Right. It's not a 50-50. Yeah. When the good bacteria vastly outnumber the bad bacteria, the bad ones aren't causing problems. So a balanced microbiome is vastly overpopulated by good bacteria. So back now to mTOR and autophagy. For hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years of human evolution, people did not get up in the morning and go to the kitchen and open the refrigerator and start making breakfast. Ancestral humans did not eat three meals a day. And these days, we've got people eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, in-between meal snacks, desserts, evening cocktails. Relative to our ancestral humans, relative to the way our bodies developed for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years, these days, people are eating all the time, which means nutrients are always available to the cell. mTOR is always getting expressed and autophagy is not getting expressed. So this is a fundamental cellular mechanism that is out of balance for most people alive today. And what's the effect of this? Well, these days, mankind is experiencing what I call an epidemic of epidemics. We've got an epidemic of heart disease, 
and diabetes and obesity and inflammatory conditions and autism and all of these things are off the charts compared to where they were 50, 60, 70 years ago, back in the 1960s when I was a kid growing up. None of these were epidemics. Yeah, but at the same time, by by the way, it is a lot more fun to watch the National Football League because now the players are like 400 pounds rather than being 250. You know, the, the rampant societal anabolism has... Uh, it certainly had payoff in some cases in the case of something like professional sports. And it's kind of funny. I don't want to totally derail, but, you know, and, and I, I think this is one reason why perhaps, um, you know, people who are still in a highly anabolic phase, such as my own 15 year old teenage boys, I'd never tell them to go take the rapamycin I'm currently taking because I kind of want them in a, in a pretty pro anabolic state, uh, for a lot of the time. But I was explaining to them last night at dinner, actually, this conversation came up. I told them, look, you see dad doing things like intermittent fasting, rapamycin, engagement in autophagy-related activities, cold thermogenesis, etc. But I started really focusing hardcore on those when I was about 35 to 40 years old because at this stage in my life, anabolism and fertility is not quite as important as longevity and autophagy. So I think some of this stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's age context, or, or age, age-related context, right? You're right. And you bring up a good point. Who should take rapamycin and when should you start taking it? I'll I'll first admit that we don't have all the answers. This is a very new field. But we do know these things. You would never give rapamycin to a child because mTOR senses when nutrients are available. It's a primary anabolic process. So you don't want to inhibit anabolism or the building process in an infant. Um, I don't think that teenagers or even young adults in their 20s and 30s should start taking rapamycin yet. And a pregnant woman should never take it because you don't want to interfere with the building processes when the fetus is growing. Yeah. But somewhere around late 30s, early 40s, 50s, that's when people can start to consider taking rapamycin. And again, we don't have all the answers. Maybe a healthy exercising person at age 50 should think about taking it, but maybe a, an overweight, obese person in their 30s would be beneficial to start taking it. We don't know the answers to these things. Yeah, someone who's like overweight or obese or might have an increased need for cellular autophagy might start taking it earlier in life. And I actually do want to get back to the, the dosage and timing a little bit sure. later. And by the way, you know, my my dose right now is five milligrams once a week. My wife, after hearing me, talking twice in the past two weeks at dinner table conversations about rapamycin now started herself last week on on five milligrams once a week and if you get my wife to take a supplement that's pretty darn impressive uh, but but when I interrupted you you were getting into this issue with excess societal anabolism and this constant pro-growth state I assume that that's related to this mTOR overactivation syndrome that's part of the title of your book you bet. It is. In fact, uh, I, I coined the term mTOR syndrome, which is the constant overactivation of mTOR and autophagy is not getting its due. It's the appropriate time for detoxification and rebuilding. And the, aging is a complex process. There are many, many things that, that contribute to the aging process. But I think this imbalance between mTOR and autophagy is a fundamental cellular mechanism that's out of balance in most people today. And it's actionable. People can do something about this to improve their health. Rapamycin is not a a magic bullet. If you've got bone-on-bone arthritis, rapamycin is not going to fix that. 
But when you start taking rapamycin, every single cell in your body is going to start working better. You're going to get better detoxification, but more importantly, you're going to start to effectively rebuild and renew your body. And the analogy I like to use here, Ben, think about a car that has a flat tire. You can't change that tire. You can't put that new tire on until you take the old tire off. That's the same way it is with proteins and enzymes in the body. They're huge molecules consisting of hundreds and thousands of amino acids linked together in unique shapes and forms. But over time, these proteins and these enzymes undergo stresses and it changes their structure, it changes their shape. And when the shape of a protein or an enzyme changes, it loses its functionality. But it still is in place. You can't get a new protein or enzyme to take its place until you detoxify and break down and get rid of that old protein. So that's what autophagy does. It's breaking down damaged cellular components, misfolded proteins and enzymes that are not functioning, and rebuilding healthy new proteins and enzymes. So it's really critical yeah. that people understand that autophagy is the number one process for detoxifying every cell in your body, but it's also the rebuilding and the renewal of your body. And people age faster when they don't activate autophagy and they're not getting this renewal process going on on a regular basis. Yeah, when you talk about the host of uh, chronic degenerative diseases that are addressed by rapamycin, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, neurological diseases like Parkinson's, MS, inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus, macular degeneration, you know, hearing loss, periodontal disease, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's disease. I mean, you, you, you treat each of these in your book with more justice than we could do on the podcast. I at least want to give a head nod to all these different conditions that rapamycin seems to prevent or treat. But it got me thinking, this, this is something, I don't know if you've ever been asked this, but you mentioned that originally, even before it was used as a cancer chemotherapy agent or immunosuppressant, that they were looking at it for its potential as an antifungal. How confident yeah. are you or other researchers that some of these systemic effects or these system-wide effects related to chronic disease are not necessarily related to autophagy and mTOR inhibition, but perhaps to you know, controlling fungus, candida, yeast, things like that? Because I realize that's also a big concern in modern society, people consuming excess sugar, alcohol, et cetera. Have you ever thought about that? Sure, you bet. And those, as I say, aging is a very complex process. And there's a lot of things that people do, lifestyle and environmental factors that are contributing to aging. I mean, we know about environmental toxins, uh, things like glyphosate, we're poisoning the planet, um, and sedentary lifestyles and poor dietary choices. And so there's, there's lots of things that go into aging processes. And there's a lot of things that people can do to slow down their aging process. I'm just saying that this mTOR autophagy ratio is so critically, fundamentally important to cellular metabolism. I think it's a one of the foundational concepts that is contributing to the poor health of mankind right now. And this is such yeah. an important process that in the second edition of my book, Ben, I proposed the mTOR autophagy theory of aging to try to draw attention to this, to get more recognition of the significance and the importance of these two terms and what people need to do to balance these things. And of course, one thing I want to emphasize for our viewers today, the natural way to balance mTOR and autophagy is fasting, intermittent fasting. 
condense your food window into a smaller period of time. So you go longer periods without nutrient intake. And some people do the 16-8 protocol and some people do two days a week, 24-hour fasting. Anything you do to do some type of fasting is going to be very beneficial for your long-term health. I yeah. advocate doing yeah. virtually everything. You know, I take rapamycin. I do uh, intermittent fasting. I exercise. I have a fanatical adherence to a healthy diet. Uh, uh, so I, I recommend that people yeah. do all of these things. It's interesting because you still get some pushback on this. Now, we've already established the fact, I think, uh, a little bit earlier, that the use of rapamycin as an immunosuppressant or cancer chemotherapy agent is at volumes much higher than the amount, this five milligrams-ish or so amount that's used every week, or I've even seen in some cases five to six milligrams every two weeks. And so that's no longer a concern of mine, the immunosuppression. However, I also get some pushback from people who I've been talking to about this, that they're concerned about uh, the loss of muscle mass or perhaps, you know, the, the, the potential triggering of almost like a sarcopenic uh, muscle-wasting type of state if we're inhibiting mTOR too much. And of course, we know that things like grip strength and muscle mass are, are protective and associated with decreased all-cause risk of mortality. So how do, you, how do you think about that question, like whether or not rapamycin could be excessively inhibiting mTOR and causing someone to say, not gain muscle in response to exercise in the same way that metformin, another popular off-label drug yeah. for, for diabetes and blood glucose management seem to cause a little bit of an impairment in mitochondria and VO2 max. A lot of people weren't taking that. But what do you think about mTOR when it comes to excess muscle loss or inability to put on muscle? The key here is that when you take rapamycin, you partially inhibit mTOR, which allows uh, autophagy to get activated for a period of time. And I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of bodybuilders and weightlifters. And early on, probably two, three years ago, um, a lot of the weightlifters are saying, I don't want to get into this. It's inhibiting inventory is going to prevent my ability to build muscle mass. But it's really not the case. It's actually the opposite of that. You need to have periods of autophagy in order to effectively build new muscle mass when mTOR gets reactivated. You've got to get those old damaged proteins and enzymes out in order to build the new ones. And so um, we find out that taking rapamycin is not detrimental to bodybuilders and people who are trying to increase their muscle mass and their strength. It actually is beneficial because you've got to have this period of autophagy in order for the mTOR process to work appropriately. And and when mTOR is always getting activated, when people are eating all the time and autophagy is not getting activated, it's kind of like driving a race car with the pedal to the metal forever. You can't do that. Or you've got a sprinter who's really a good track and field performer, but they can't run fast forever. You've got to have periods of rest, relaxation, and rejuvenation. And I like yeah. to compare autophagy to sleep. Um, during the day, we're active all the time. That's the mTOR phase. We're taking in nutrients. But 
we think about sleep as a rest phase, kind of like autophagy as a rest phase. But sleep is not a rest phase in terms of nothing going on. There's a tremendous amount of activity going on during sleep. You activate the glymphatic system, which detoxifies your brain. And so sleep is very important for detoxification and rebuilding and renewal of your body, just like autophagy, or at least there's a, a, a thread of a, a, a metaphor there that's similar. So um, autophagy is just critically important for long-term health. If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different newly discovered plant-derived ingredients that when expertly combined can help to reduce senescent cells, and the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. And you only use it twice a month, six capsules twice a month. Super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month, nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, Back by a 100-day money-back guarantee, and that code Ben Senna will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Senna. I don't think it's any secret that I'm not a huge fan of big, clunky New Year's resolutions. Why? Because they usually rely on willpower. And willpower is a tool of your conscious mind. That controls just like 2 to 4% of your daily actions. Your habits, whether good or bad, in fitness or nutrition or productivity and beyond, they're all deeply ingrained, and that creates an internal thermostat that keeps you stuck in your current situation. Well, the good news is you're not alone. I've worked with thousands of clients who were all trying the right things but felt stuck and realized their willpower was not what helped them get out of their scenario. Instead, they needed direction, guidance, accountability, a plan, a program, and a big why, and I provide all of that with my revolutionary coaching programs. I have retooled the coaching programs. We have amazing options for you in our brand new elite programs from bengreenfieldlife.com. So you can join now and redefine your reality with a limited time offer of 40% off of your first month of coaching. Here's how. Go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash elite for a personalized coach set up perfectly for you to achieve any goal you want safely, quickly, and effectively. BenGreenfieldLife.com forward slash E-L-I-T-E. And I'll see you on the inside. Here's the way I've been thinking about it. I'd love to hear your feedback on this. I generally lift weights uh, Monday through Friday. My weekends are primarily devoted towards things like frisbee golf and pickleball and walking and hiking and being with the family. And Sundays tends to be even more of a recovery day. So based on that logic, I've actually been taking my rapamycin on Saturday morning because I figure, hey, if it's inhibiting mTOR, I know the half-life is closer to four days, but I think it's kind of begins to wane in the system after around 48 hours, if I'm not mistaken. By consuming it 
prior to a couple of days of lighter activity and a couple of days for which mTOR activation is not as important to me as autophagy, that I'm timing my rapamycin dosing in such a manner that if there were any risks to a inadequate muscle response to a weight training workout, I'm kind of mitigating those by getting most of that rapamycin out of my bloodstream before I start weight training again on Monday morning. I'll give you a maybe on that. Nobody's done the studies. We just don't know all these things. And so those are things that need to be researched. Um, and your, your theory there has got some validity to it. But I just have to say, nobody has really looked into this. We don't know the, the best timing for rapamycin. And so we don't know if one, once a week is best. Maybe once every 10 days is best. Instead of five milligrams once a week, Maybe 10 milligrams every other week is, is better. We really don't know the answers to these things. And, you know, there's biochemical individuality. When we really dive into this, we'll probably find people have different methods or different capabilities of absorbing rapamycin, of metabolizing it. We'll be able to individualize doses at some time in the future, maybe five years or so. But right now, what we know is five or six milligrams once a week is extremely safe in fact, I think that taking rapamycin appropriately once a week is safer than over-the-counter drugs like acetaminophen and ibuprofen, which is, uh, I think they have far more potential side effects than rapamycin. Acetaminophen is the number one cause of liver failure and liver transplants in the United States, and you can buy it without a prescription. So I think that people yeah. should have access to rapamycin. The Upside is tremendous. The side effects are minimal. The most common side effect from rapamycin are these little aptheselsers, little mouth sores. Maybe hmm. 5% of people get those when they take rapamycin. They generally go away fairly quickly and don't reoccur. But um, some people get elevated triglycerides. Some people have a drop in their iron or the hemoglobin levels. These are minor side effects. Most people don't have these effects. I do encourage people to get a baseline set of labs before they start taking rapamycin. And then three months or so later, get a second period of uh, set of labs and do your comparisons. So you can gotta yeah. have a before and after to look at. But uh, the side effects from rapamycin are very, very minimal. They're manageable. And the upside is tremendous. The, rapamycin, uh, to my way of thinking, is a revolution in life lifespan increases and i like to emphasize it's not just increasing life extension it's increasing health span it you're yeah. you're in fact back in the 1960s or so a doctor by the name of james freeze wrote a paper they got soundly criticized for but now it's pretty well generally accepted what all of what we're trying to do with life extension and anti-aging is called rectangularization of the aging curve and the compression of morbidity. So you age healthfully for a much longer period of time. And at the very end of life, whether it's at 95 years or 127 years, wherever, your infirm years are very small at the very end of your life. And that's what we're doing. That's what rapamycin does when you take it appropriately and exercise and healthy diet and all of the other things. If you're taking metformin or uh, any of the other uh, AMPK inhibitors, this is all designed to actually slow down your aging process to get activity in autophagy, 
so that you are balancing this mTOR autophagy ratio. And so when you talk about diet, Ben, for a long time, people have always been concerned about the quantity, how much you eat, the quality, what's the quality of your food? Are you drinking, eating organic foods and drinking filtered water? But the thing that has been missed is the timing of food. And that's right. what's addressed here in the mTOR autophagy ratio, leaving more time without nutrient intake. So autophagy gets activated to rebuild and revitalize your body and detoxify your body. So it's not necessarily consuming, consuming less. It's just narrowing the window of your nutrient intake so you have more time to activate autophagy. Right. Right. The metabolic effects and health span effects of a prime rib consumed yep. at 1 a.m. is a lot different than prime rib consumed at, say, like, you know, 10 a.m. after a weight training workout or something like that. I absolutely agree. Or or any breakfast with a decent amount of protein used the, as a circadian rhythm management tool like a Zeitgeiber. Yeah, timing, that's that's a lot of Sachin Panda's research, of course, that food is not just about quality and quantity. It's also about timing. And, and you're absolutely right when it comes to that. Now, you mentioned about uh, other agents that people take for longevity. You know, I've been very impressed with peptide bioregulators. I've been very impressed with what I've seen on NAD, increasingly impressed with uh, C60 and astaxanthin. And there's a few others out there. But when it comes to rapamycin, in some of the digging around and discussions that I had leading up to this interview, I saw people doing a few other different stacks. I think one that came up repeatedly was, was I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, acarbose or something like that, like yeah. people taking yeah. acarbose yeah. with rapamycin. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, it's, it's one of the blood, blood sugar regulators. It's an AMPK activator, and um, uh, another one is metformin. Um, and they all have some benefits, but but those all the other life extension drugs I'm aware of have significant individual benefits. Rapamycin and regulating the mTOR autophagy ratio is a fundamental mechanism. And so I think all the diseases of aging are related to this imbalance of mTOR and autophagy. And uh, in animal models, every single age-related disease responds to rapamycin. Metabolic diseases, cardiovascular diseases, neurological diseases, Everything in animal models responds to rapamycin. They all have a slowing down of the process. Some of them actually reverse some of the processes, like cardiovascular disease in animals with rapamycin. And the research thus far in humans is certainly all encouraging. Um, it takes a lot of money to get clinical trials going. There are a few clinical trials with rapamycin, um, but it's so safe for people to take. I think the downside of not taking rapamycin is much more detrimental than taking it. I, I'm just really, um, I guess I'm a proselytizer when it comes to rapamycin. But I got to ask you, the wholesale price, you talk about this in your book, wholesale price to pharmacies for a bottle of 102 milligram, uh, I think it's called Cirolimus, I believe is the, the brand Cirolimus, name. Cirolimus. Cirolimus is the brand name. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's over $3,000. And in many cases, yep. of course, if it's for longevity, that wouldn't be covered by insurance. So I'm curious what your personal strategy is, because I think you talk about in the book, like you're paying something like a $20 copay or something like that. So tell me about how you're getting your hands on yep. this stuff. You bet. So um, when I first got my prescription for rapamycin, I took it to my local pharmacy, Ashland Drug. Pharmacist looked up, he said, 
it's available, but I'm not going to order it for you. It's it's well over $3,000 for a bottle of 100 tablets. My prescription is just going to get filled for a few tablets. So he's going to have a lot of money in his inventory tied up that's not turning over. Right. So I took it to the local chain drug store, and they don't have nearly the controls that independent retail pharmacies have. They ordered it for me, and they fill it for me. And I, for a long time, for a couple of years, have gotten it filled uh, for $20 a month a copay on my insurance program. Right, your mom and pop, your mom and pop pharmacist, the one with the soda fountain and the cameras. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I know the type you're talking about. Now, you know, I I went a different route because you talk about this generic form called Rapapro, which is a a product made by actually, I I think you can get it through this anti aging systems website, which is interesting because I interviewed another guy named guy named Phil Mycans about peptide bioregulators. And that's where I've been sending a lot of people at the same website to get peptide bioregulators, which are a discussion for another day, but I also think are, are a fantastic life extension agent. Yeah, but so so for me and my wife, you know, if we're taking uh, one milligram tablets, five of those, once a week, those boxes of Rapapro are, I believe, about $69.99. So that means we're paying about 30 bucks a month each as a couple to take five milligrams, the dose we've been talking about of rapamycin once a week. So we are not talking about here. expensive supplement. I mean, that, that's pretty affordable. Yep. This, I'm, I'm showing the uh, the box of Rapapo on the, the screen. Oh, here. yeah. You got it held up. And yeah. it, it's available from International Anti-Aging Systems. They are a company that's been around for quite a number of years. They specialize in making hard to obtain life extension drugs available. A couple of years ago, they got interested in rapamycin. And they contracted with an Indian pharmaceutical company to produce their generic proprietary brand of rapamycin that's called Rapapro. And this Indian pharmaceutical company uses a new nanotechnology for the production of Rapapro. So the particle size is extremely small, which means it has very good absorption. So mm -hmm. I got excited about this because... Um, as you mentioned, Ben, the price is really reasonable. It's $69.95 for a box of, uh, yeah. it's, uh, let's that, that, see. That's dirt cheap for a supplement with this many yeah, systemic effects. 51 milligram tablets. And so you're getting a hundred tablets for 70 bucks roughly. It, it comes out, if you're taking five or six milligrams once a week, it's about a two month supply for 70 bucks, about $35 a month. That's a very reasonable price. Yeah, people want to see the video of what the box looks like. If you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash rapamycin, R-A-P-A-M-Y-C-I-N, you can see Ross holding up the box here. But yeah, that's the exact box that's up in my pantry right now. Yeah. So um, I did my due diligence. I started ordering Rapapro, and I started doing my serolimus blood tests. And this is another thing I want to talk about, Ben, because I, I'm strongly encouraging people who take rapamycin to get their plasma serolimus blood test done to find hmm. out how well it's absorbed and what their plasma levels are. So when I started taking Rapapro, I did my blood tests, and I found it is very well absorbed. My plasma levels are right up there in the range where they should be. So I, I just verified for myself that this is a really quality product that just gets well absorbed and for a very reasonable price. And so a lot of people can't find a doctor who will write a rapamycin prescription for them. Uh, many people don't have insurance programs that'll cover it. This is a way people can get rapamycin for a very reasonable price. And the uh, uh, 
international yeah. anti-aging systems people have actually said that, that people uh, use my discount code of Ross-10, they'll get a 10% discount on their initial order. Uh, there you go. But cool. I'll, I'll put that information in the show notes for, for people. And I'll yeah. link to an interview with Phil Mikans on peptide bioregulators as well. Where are you getting the, the uh, serolimus tests? Okay, that's a good point to bring up. So the serolimus blood test is made available by LabCorp, big national oh. Company yeah. that does labs for uh, all across the United States. So I found out that Life Extension allows people to order the serolimus blood test for $95. You mean the Life Extension Foundation? Yeah. Okay. Bill Falloon and, and his group. So if you call Life Extension and order the serolimus blood test, you pay them, they send you the order, you take the order to LabCorp, and you get their blood draw. That's $95. The same blood test is available directly from LabCorp for $54. Oh. But you re that requires a physician's prescription. Well, I've educated my doctor about rapamycin. So I went to her and said, I want to be getting my serolimus blood test so I can check my uh, absorption and availability. She wrote out a prescription for the serolimus blood test for me. And on it, she put good for one year. So I can now go to LabCorp anytime I want and get my blood tested. I was taking rapamycin for well over a year. And when I did my blood test, uh, the plasma levels were not nearly as high as I wanted them. So now I've upped my dose. To, I'm taking 10 to 12 milligrams once a week. And the mm -hmm. blood levels are up as high as I want them. Uh, but that's why I'm encouraging people. If you don't test, you don't know. And so I really encourage people to do the blood test and check and make sure that they're getting adequate blood levels uh, up in the levels that they want. And you haven't had any muscle loss or any noticeable decrease in strength from, from doubling your dose once a week? I have not. The only thing I've lost is a little visceral abdominal fat. Huh. Well, you can't complain about that. I'm, I'm just curious. Right. You know, when I talk to guys like you or, I don't know, this other guy I spoke with a few weeks ago, Brian Johnson, who has this pretty yeah, extensive blueprint him. protocol or Phil Mikans or any of these other guys in the anti-aging sector. I kind of like to know anything else that you're doing. I mean, you mentioned you do some intermittent fasting. You know, it sounds like you weight train, you take rapamycin, but is there anything else in your protocol that you think is particularly effective or that you, you swear by, whether it's supplementation yeah, or certain parts of your daily routine? I got a lot of things I can talk about. First of all, I just want to emphasize that Number one on everybody's list should be a healthy diet. And I'll say a few words about the healthy diet in just a couple minutes. Second thing is exercise. You, you, that's just got to be number one along with diet, diet and exercise, number one and number two. In fact, on my website, I've got a study that I summarized a group of Italian scientists a number of years ago studied a fairly large group of elderly people between the ages of 94 and 105. And they were, trying to figure out what's the number one thing for healthy aging. And they examined a huge number of parameters. Turns out the number one thing for healthy aging, maintain your muscle mass. So you have yeah. to do regular strength training or resistance training. Things like cycling and swimming and jogging, those are great aerobic exercises, but you're not building muscle mass. So people need to understand the importance of doing strength training. And I especially emphasize this for women because far more men do strength training than women, and everybody needs to do it. And yeah. um, 
I think there's tremendous benefit for most people to boost their glutathione levels. Most people have low levels of glutathione levels for a variety of reasons. Although, although, Ross, I got to interrupt you real quick with a caveat. I mean, obviously, as you age, you see a a remarkable decrease in glutathione. You know, same thing with NAD, for example. But many people do not do well from a genetic standpoint. I have an entire podcast with Dr. Kashif Khan about this with supplementing with straight glutathione and instead need to take precursors like N-acetylcysteine or selenium because they can actually, uh, I believe it's excess methyl depletion that can occur with glutathione supplementation in someone who has poor glutathione absorption SNPs. So just something to consider. I would recommend you listen to that podcast and make sure, because I'm a guy who doesn't do as well with glutathione as I do with N-acetylcysteine, selenium, and some glutathione precursors. Those are all great cre- precursors. I'm, I'm in favor of them. Um, but when people take glutathione orally, it's not well absorbed. It gets broken down and destroyed. Uh, some of the liposomal delivery systems are a little more effective. Yeah. But I happen to uh, work for my, my day job. I'm the scientific director for a Dallas-based company named Essential Formulas. And we have the sole rights to import a product from Europe called RegActive is the brand, brand name, R-E-G apostrophe A-C-T-I-V. And these products contain a unique strain of probiotic bacteria called Lactobacillus fermentum ME3. Hmm. And we call it ME3 for short. And ME3 synthesizes glutathione. Oh, interesting. So, so that's the way that you're, that you'd be bypassing any issues with exogenous supplementation. You're just getting your exactly. body to make more of its own. I like that. Yep. I'm going to look into We've got human this. clinical trials showing tremendous benefits. So this hmm. is a real breakthrough in my mind because people can naturally boost yeah. their glutathione levels on a daily basis. That, that is, especially with the increasing, uh, difficulty securing N-acetylcysteine. I think this is great. I'll, yep. I didn't know about this. I'll look into it. Yep, I'll send you stuff afterwards uh, on all of this, and so that you can post yeah, I'll put, that in, I'll the put it in the show notes, notes for people too. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And next item on my life extension formula list is crystal-free coenzyme Q10. A lot of people know about mm-hmm. coenzyme Q10. Many people don't realize that the melting point of coenzyme Q10 is ten degrees higher than body temperature, which okay. causes it to crystallize. When it crystallizes, it forms clumps. We cannot absorb clumps of CoQ10. It has to be single molecules in solution. And if most of the CoQ10 products on the market have horrible rates of absorption, literally only 1% or 2%. There's a company out of Denmark, PharmaNord, that has a patented process for keeping their CoQ10 in solution. Uh, They've done clinical trials. They get three to 10 times higher plasma levels than most of the commercial products on the market. So I'm I'm a big proponent of crystal-free coenzyme Q10. And that's that's very good information, too, if someone's on a statin because of the CoQ10 stripping properties of statin and the associated muscle soreness and mitochondrial deficits. I know a lot of people on statins are taking CoQ10, but I don't think many of them are aware of this uh, of this temperature issue and the availability of crystal free. So I'll, I'll get more information from you and put this in the show notes too. Okay, so that's super interesting. You got crystal free CoQ10 and, and Rejactive. Yep. The information I send you on CoQ10, Ben, uh, um, from PharmaNord, they've agreed to give people that order it with a discount code that I have a 20% discount. So I'll send all that for your show notes so that your viewers will be able to get a 20% discount on PharmaNord's going to CoQ10. Okay. Um, next topic I'd like to talk about, which I think is critically important. I am a microbiome guy. 
yeah. my company, Essential Formulas, markets premium probiotics. And I'm trying to re-educate the world about how the gastrointestinal tract and the gut microbiome really function. Most people have a total misunderstanding of probiotic bacteria and what they do and how they function. The job of your probiotic bacteria is to digest components in your food and break them down and produce secondary molecules that we call postbiotic metabolites. And it's these smaller metabolites that the probiotic bacteria produce that have a wide range of biological activity. So it's not the probiotic bacteria themselves, it's the compounds that the probiotic bacteria produce, these postbiotic metabolites, that regulate not only your microbiome ecosystem, but they get absorbed systemically and influence every single organ system in your body, especially your brain and your immune system. And the problem, then, is that most people are not feeding their gut microbiome well. And if you don't feed your probiotic bacteria well, they will not thrive and survive. They won't be able to produce the postbiotic metabolites that regulate your health. So what are the types of foods that your probiotic bacteria require? They are dietary fibers and polyphenols. Those are the two primary food groups for your postbiotic for your probiotic bacteria. Right. And and by by the way, I want to emphasize you you didn't you didn't just say kefir, kombucha, yogurt, kimchi, sauerkraut, even though some of those have those fibers in them, you're specifically talking not necessarily about fermented products, but the polyphenols and the fibers themselves, whether fermented or unfermented. Exactly. You bet. I mean fermented foods are great, but the fundamental mechanism of how the gut microbiome works is that probiotic bacteria digest and ferment dietary fibers and polyphenols to produce these postbiotic metabolites. Over 99.9% .9 of the bacteria in your gastrointestinal tract reside in the colon. That's where all the action takes place. That's an anaerobic environment. And so when we take dietary, when we ingest dietary fibers and polyphenols, humans do not have the enzymes to digest dietary fibers. So they pass totally through your digestive system. And the similar situation with polyphenols, most of them are massively large molecules. We do not absorb most polyphenols efficiently. So they will also pass through your digestive tract. But when these dietary fibers and polyphenols reach the colon, they are the food for your probiotic bacteria, and that's when the bacteria will ferment these products, break them down, produce the smaller postbiotic metabolites that regulate your health. The problem, Ben, is that I've got multiple studies that report from 90 to 95% of American children and adults do not consume adequate amounts of dietary fibers and polyphenols. So nobody's feeding their gut microbiome the way they should. And consequently, everybody has gut problems. And so now if take a little time to dive into what it means to have a dysregulated gut microbiome, what we call dysbiosis, too many bad bacteria, not enough good bacteria. The reason bad bacteria are bad is because they produce compounds that are inflammatory. So you get gut inflammation. And when you have inflammation in the gastrointestinal tract, that causes a substance called zonulin to be produced. And I don't know if your listeners are familiar with zonulin, but uh, if, 
physician by the name of Alessio Fasano, who's a, a pediatrician at Harvard, discovered zonulin. I hope he wins the Nobel Prize. I think it's one of the most important health discoveries of all time, paralleling mTOR and autophagy. But zonulin gets expressed when you have gut inflammation, and it degrades and breaks down the tight junctions in the epithelial cells in the lining of your gastrointestinal tract and creates leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And that allows lipopolysaccharides to leak through into systemic circulation. A quick explanation or definition of lipopolysaccharides, they are components of the cell walls of gram-negative bacteria in your intestinal tract. Everybody has them. They're supposed to stay in your gastrointestinal tract. But if you have leaky gut, these lipopolysaccharides leak into your systemic circulation. They are highly inflammatory. And they create systemic long-term chronic inflammation, which accelerates your biological aging. So it's critical for people to understand how to create and maintain a healthy microbiome with predominantly good bacteria. And the way you do that is to feed your microbiome and your probiotic bacteria well. And the key here, Ben, is that not just the quantity of dietary fibers and polyphenols. The thing that's important is the diversity. Most ecosystems are more functional and stronger and more resilient when they have a high level of diversity. And the only way you can get a diverse microbiome with lots of different strains of probiotic bacteria is by consuming a wide diversity of different types of fiber-containing foods and polyphenols. I agree. I'm, look, I'm looking out my office window right now, by the way. I've got uh, right out in the garden, there's rosemary and thyme. Beyond that, wild nettle, wild mint dandelion, organ grape, and organ grape root. So I do I do a lot of plant foraging, and one reason for that, I make this fantastic wild plant pesto, head nod, shameless plug for my cookbook, the recipes in my, my boundless cookbook. But, you know, I, I go out of my way to eat a lot of these plant varietals. I got to ask you, though, when you look at these postbiotic metabolites producing the colon, are you primarily referring to short-chain fatty acids or, or th things like butyrate? That's just one that's just one class of postbiotic metabolites. There's, there, uh, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of this understanding of how this microbiome works. In the future, we will probably discover that probiotic bacteria are capable of creating thousands of different postbiotic metabolites. We know that some yeah. of them have a wide range of anti-inflammatory activity. Some of them directly kill pathogens. One of the most important things that postbiotic metabolites do is regulate the acid-base balance in the gastrointestinal tract. A healthy microbiome has an acid-base level that's just slightly acidic. When you have a slightly acidic acid-base level in the gut microbiome, you support the growth and the proliferation of your probiotic bacteria, and it suppresses or inhibits the growth of bad bacteria. When people have dysbiosis, too many bad bacteria, not enough good bacteria, you become 10 to 100 times too alkaline. You have to get bound to that slightly acidic condition to have a healthy microbiome to allow your good bacteria to proliferate. And so here's how you maintain this. You create this slightly acidic pH in the gut microbiome with postbiotic metabolites like short-chain fatty acids, which are propionic, acetic, lactic acid, and nucleic acids, and organic acids, and amino acids, and folic acids, 
Many of the different types of postbiotic metabolites are slightly acidic, and that's how you create and maintain the slightly acidic pH that allows the good bacteria to thrive and it suppresses the growth of the bad bacteria. And that all comes down to diversity of fiber and polyphenol sources, it sounds like you're saying. Exactly. Diversity, yeah. diversity, yeah. diversity. And so many people think that just taking a probiotic, there's Americans think more is better. My probiotic's got 50 billion. Mine's got 100 billion. Mine's got 200 billion. When you take high doses of a single or several strains of probiotic bacteria like that, you're working against balance and diversity. And it's the same with... Uh, prebiotics. Now, a lot of companies are putting some prebiotics in their formulation right. so they can get the term prebiotic on the label. Yeah. Large amount of inulin, a large amount of fructooligosaccharide, that's just one. You're working against balance and diversity. So I try to get people to understand the importance of eating a little bit of as many different types of fruits and vegetables on a daily basis as you can to get this diversity of fibers and polyphenols. I want to encourage people to, to Google my eight-minute YouTube video. If they Google Ross Salad Buzz on YouTube, I've got an eight-minute YouTube video that teaches people how to make a microbiome supporting salad. I call it Ross's Salad Buzz, B-U-Z-Z. Yeah, you, you sent me the video. I didn't watch Just, it. Maybe I'll watch it during lunch today while I have a salad. You know, by the way, it's interesting. Two things. One, I, I should mention because I just interviewed Colin Cutcliffe yesterday of this company called Pendulum that makes a blood sugar controlling probiotic that contains high levels of acromantia that they put inulin into. But I was pleased to hear her describe to me this secondary polyphenol supportive compound that they encourage people to take along with it. So I don't want people to think just because a supplement has inulin, it means it's bad. It just needs to be accompanied by other polyphenols. The other thing that's interesting, you know, is that it's concerning to me unless it is for the purposes of a short-term immune-friendly diet for healing the gut and eliminating a host of diverse plant defense mechanisms from entering the gut that so many people these days are on, a very fiber and polyphenol poor carnivore diet or low fiber keto diet. I also think this is why many of the people I talk to who follow that diet for some period of time wind up settling back into in the case of a carnivore diet, some pretty significant fruits and avocado consumption. In the case of a low-fiber keto diet, a lot of them return back to like a low-fiber keto Mediterranean type of diet rich in herbs and spices and polyphenols, which I think is an intelligent move. And again, like I think there are there's a time and a place for an autoimmune-friendly diet, you know, like a short-term carnivore stint if you need to give the diet a break from plant defense compounds. But long-term, I think it's very important that people hear the message that you're sending Ross, which is the importance of these gut postbiotics and the fact that you need diversity and polyphenols to get them. You know, we're, we're running up kind of short on time, but you have that salad buzz video. You also have like a, a, a course or something like that about these postbiotics that you're talking about, don't you? Yeah, I've, I've got a booklet that I can make available to all of our viewers um, free of charge. This is a booklet I wrote, uh, Dr. Here's Probiotics and Postbiotic Metabolites. And I'm the scientific director with Essential Formulas, and we have the sole rights to import Dr. O'Hara's probiotics from Japan into the United States. This is a probiotic that's made in a multi-year fermentation process. They've got large 80-gallon fermentation vats in a sterile warehouse. They put in a wide range of Japanese fruits and vegetables and mushrooms and seaweeds and 12 starter strains of bacteria. 
the bacteria get to digest these foods for three to five years before they encapsulate the product. And the final product has got over 500 of these postbiotic metabolites. So this is the fastest way to institute positive changes in the gut microbiome because you're directly ingesting these postbiotic metabolites. When people take a commercial probiotic, even if those bacteria survive transit through the harsh acid in the stomach, when they reach the colon, those bacteria have to locate dietary fibers and polyphenols, which most people aren't consuming enough of, and then start the process of converting them into the postbiotic metabolites, which takes time. Take Dr. Rahir's probiotics, and you are directly ingesting over 500 of these postbiotic metabolites. So you're directly getting anti-inflammatory activity, rebalancing the acid base level, reestablishing gut-brain communication, balancing your immune system. So there's nothing else in the world like Dr. Rahir's probiotics, which directly delivers uh, these 500 postbiotic metabolites. Are you, are you saying Dr. Hare's or Dr. Dr. Hare's or Dr. Harrow's? Is Dr. O'Hara, O-H-H-I-R-A. O-H-H-I-R-A. Okay, cool. Yeah, he was a visionary microbiologist that uh, took him 10 years to develop the system. He was initially a Buddhist monk. And then after he left the monastery, he became a landscape architect. He had a worldwide reputation as a landscape architect. And in 1976, the country of Malaysia invited him to put a large freedom park and design the architectural design, which he did. 1980, he went back to Malaysia for the grand opening ceremonies. He ingested some bad food and got violently ill. There was a shaman at these grand opening ceremonies that saw O'Hara lying on the ground, writhing in, in discomfort and vomiting. He pulled some black syrupy stuff out of his leather satchel and started spoon feeding O'Hara with this stuff. Cured him right away. And he's a curious individual, so he finds out the stuff the shaman gave him gave him was made from lo- locally fermented Malaysian fruits and vegetables. He takes oh, yeah. it back to Japan. He plays around with it. He doesn't, he can't study it the way he wants to because he doesn't have the scientific education. So at age forty nine, with a very successful landscape architect career with an international reputation, he walks away from that career, goes back to school, gets a degree in microbiology, and starts this whole huh. process of developing Doctor Here's probiotics. Wow. Well, this has been a wealth of information, Ross, and I'm super happy I had you on the show. I didn't even know where we we're going to go this deep into the gut, but this is just as interesting to me as the <laughs> rapamycin piece. So, it uh, guts, ben. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, <laughs> so Ben Greenfield life.com slash rapamycin, R A P A M Y C I N. I'll have all the show notes over there. I'll follow up with Ross to get links and, and everything else for all this stuff. And in the meantime, you can also leave your questions, your comments and your feedback over there for Ross or for me. And uh, Ross, thank you so much for doing this, man. You bet, Ben. My website for people that want to know is naturalpharmacist.net. And to get a free copy of this book, go to naturalpharmacist.net forward slash O'Hira book, O-H-H-I-R-A-B-O-O-K. Ben, love being with you. Cool. Thanks for doing this, Ross. All right, folks, I'm Ben Greenfield with Ross Pelton, natural pharmacist, signing off from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. Well, this is pretty cool. Just put the finishing touches on a luxury VIP retreat in the Swiss mountains. So you may have seen a little bit of rumblings about this on social media, but the beautiful Six Senses Retreat, all-inclusive luxury locale in beautiful Crans, Montana, Switzerland, has graciously 
allowed me to bring a maximum of up to 10 folks, and this could be individuals, couples, families, into a transformative experience there where I'm going to lead breath work, hikes, workouts. You'll get hands-on foraging adventures with nature's freshest ingredients in their cooking class locale there. You're going to get a chance to do amazing spa treatments, a meticulously curated program. You'll get to meet my wife and my sons who will be there. Again, families are welcome. You can bring one or two or three kids. You can make it a couple's retreat. If you want to go solo, you can. There's a limited number of rooms where we're prioritizing couples and families. But again, if you want to get in, this thing is coming up around the corner, April 17th through the 21st, 2024. So it will be all-inclusive. You'll want to fly into Geneva, Switzerland, assuming you want to get into the closest airport. I've already got our flights. Uh, you'll want to mic your calendar for April 17th through the 21st. And here's how to get in. You go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash senses 24 that's bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24. And again, it's going to be incredible all the way down to like evening sing-alongs and stargazing and yoga and meditation. And again, the spa there is incredible. Six senses is known for having incredible retreats around the world, but this one in Switzerland is supposed to be one of the best. I can't wait. I led a retreat in Portugal last year and people just said it was the most amazing experience of their lives. This one will be just as good, if not better. So go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24, and you can get in on this retreat that's coming up right around the corner, April 17th through the 21st. I hope to see you there. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot. In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links, of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items. But the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon LLC, the makers of Keon branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, if I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.